how Jesus announces his ministry. And he does that in Luke 4. He uses this, uh, he, or he announces it this way. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim, rele- or proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And this is a quote that he's taking from the Hebrew scriptures, and it speaks to this amazing promise that uh, this liberator, this king would come, and that he would restore everything in Israel and in the world. And the biblical language has a shorthand for this idea. It's written here in the very last part of this sentence, that uh, it is the year of the Lord's favor, or as we've been talking about it, and the Bible often talks about it, as the year of Jubilee. This vision of Jubilee, that is supposed to be a God-commanded practice of restoration in ancient Israel, and four things were supposed to happen. Every 49th year, everybody would rest for one year, and then all of the land would be restored, all of the debts would be released, and all of the slaves would be free. And it's this radical and beautiful expression of what we've said is the main call of humanity and what Jesus references a lot in the Gospel of Luke, which is uh, that we love God and we love our neighbor. So Jesus reads this passage, that's how his first words in his public ministry, and then it says he closes up the scroll, he sits down, everybody's looking at him, and he says, this is fulfilled in your hearing, this is happening now, Jubilee is getting kicked off in me and my ministry. And then we spent the last five weeks looking at how Jesus does kick off Jubilee, or how he inaugurates Jubilee in and through his life and ministry. So the first week, we, we saw the story, or we looked at the story of a, a sinful woman, a woman who is outcast in that society, but she comes and with her tears, she washes Jesus' feet. And it shows how Jesus is announcing Jubilee, that he's taking people who are social outsiders, who are socially poor, and he's inviting them into his community. Yeah? Okay. Um, the next one is that Jesus casts out demons, and that's maybe appropriate for uh, what just happened there. But the next story we looked at is that Jesus casts out demons, which is a bizarre thing for us to think about as 21st century modern people. But the Bible has this vision that there is a spiritual world that's alongside of our world, and that this spiritual world has effects on our world. And one of them is that, the, that we're held captive by these dark powers and forces that are in our world. And Jesus meets many of these people in his ministry, and he frees them and he heals them and releases them. Again, preaching jubilee to them. Then my friend Talisi, she came and she preached about a woman who had been bleeding. She'd been hemorrhaging for 12 years. Not only physical pain, but that in her culture, that would make her a cultural outsider. And Jesus, again, he comes to announce jubilee to her by physically healing her. And there's many more examples of this in the Gospel of Luke. Here's how one theologian summarizes everything that's happening. He says, We see in Jesus an outreach to those on the edge of society, a care about such people in contrast to the way that the world has cast them aside. Jesus' involvement of and concern for the woman, the poor, the lame, and the blind show that God cares for the entire spectrum of people. The role of women is particularly affirmed in terms of being community participants. The poor are singled out as a special concern for the gospel and the kingdom message that Jesus brings. God lifts up the humble. Jesus urges God's care for people, even people whom others tend to ignore. And so to these stories and to this quote... 
I think many of us feel like a magnetism, where we feel like good vibes towards what Jesus is doing and announcing here. And you may come here today, and you might be like, I, I'm not interested in God at all. I just got dragged here by my family. You know the classic, we come on church on Easter. Or maybe you're just skeptical, in which case I would say, welcome. We have lots of people who are skeptical and who are we're thinking through these things and trying to negotiate what does it mean to know and, and love Jesus? But I think regardless of who we are, that there's some heat towards what Jesus is saying here. That if you think of it like voting, if you hear what Jesus is doing and what he's saying, it's like, I would vote for that. I like that platform. If that's what Jesus is all about, he has my vote. And in Luke's gospel, Jesus will come and he'll meet each person. He'll say, like, this is great. That's great that you like my platform. You know, I like it too. It's pretty good. But actually... I'm not looking for your vote. I'm not running like a politician. This isn't a political campaign. In fact, I I want something a little bit more from you. What I want is you. I want all of you. And that's always been the invitation in the Bible that God actually wants to partner with us as people to see his jubilee kingdom come in the world. That he wants to work alongside us. That's the story in the Bible from Genesis, the first book, to Revelation, that God actually wants to partner with us to see his jubilee kingdom come into the world. And so that's what Jesus, that's what happens in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus meets every character and he says, let's do more than vote. Let's actually get into it together. What would it look like if our jubilee kingdom was coming? What would it look like if we were truly to love God and love neighbor together? And so that's what we looked at in the last two weeks. We looked at two people who are religious figures and they come to Jesus. Mitch preached on one of them two weeks ago. This guy comes to Jesus and you've got to remember, this is a really good person. He's a religious leader. It'd be like if he came to Jesus and he was like, yeah, I like this Jubilee thing. In fact, like, I named my daughter Jubilee. I'm all in. Like, I'm really excited about what you're doing. And Jesus says, oh, yeah, great. Here's how you love your neighbor. Is if you, he tells him a story about this person who's a Samaritan, which is like a half-breed, a person who's a heretic, a person who is taught to hate his whole life. And he says, I want you to look at this person's story. A man who is willing to cross shame and cultural and safety boundaries and at great cost to himself. Repeatedly, if you read the story of the Good Samaritan, he just comes back again and again and again and again. And he cares for a man who, if he woke up out of his coma, would absolutely hate him. And Jesus says, this is what it means to be a neighbor. This is what it means to be part of my Jubilee story. And then last week we looked at the rich ruler... And the same thing, he comes to Jesus and he's like, I'm, I'm in for the Jubilee dream. And Jesus is like, that's so great. You've done so many awesome things in your life. Actually, just one more thing that you need to do. Sell everything, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. If you want to be in with Jubilee, that's what Jesus says. And these aren't isolated events. We've only looked at two of them, but they're not isolated events in the Gospel of Luke. Later on, Jesus, someone asked Jesus, how often do I have to forgive somebody? If they come to me and ask for forgiveness, and Jesus just basically says, just as many times as they come, you need to forgive them again and again and again. You need to be a well of forgiveness if you want to join in my Jubilee kingdom. There's one section that's titled later on in the CSB, which is the version of the Bible that we read. It's just called, Be Prepared for Trouble. That's what Jesus says to his followers. You want to be in on Jubilee? That's what it's going to mean. And then maybe in his most difficult teaching, here's what Jesus says. If you want to follow me, You need to pick up your cross daily. You need to die. That's the invitation of Jesus. And I think we, and many people in the Gospel of Luke, are stunned by this language. Because we think to Jesus, we're like, well, you don't really know what you're saying. You're kind of asking a lot here of me. Like, I'm in, but I don't know that I'm all in. Like, if if you ask me to love my neighbor like that, 
like this, this story that you told of the Good Samaritan, everybody that I know would like mock me and laugh at me. I'd be outcast by them. Or if you, you ask me to let go of all of my money, like that's who I am. I'm a rich ruler. I don't even have a name in the story. Everybody knows me as that kind of person. I would be losing my complete identity. I would have to become someone new to be part of Jubilee. And Jesus is basically like, yeah, that's the whole point. Come and follow me. And here's what I think is happening. To use biblical language, Jesus is inaugurating a kingdom, a kingdom called Jubilee. So you can think of it like, like this. It's a kingdom of restoration and reconciliation and justice and peace. And again, we have good vibes towards this. I think like, these are all things that we long for as people. But of course, there are many other kingdoms in our world. There's kingdoms of money and of power and of religion and of empire and of nation. We can call these, the Bible calls these worldly kingdoms. And these are set against Jesus' jubilee kingdom. And, and most of us, again, as, as Western people, we would be like, yeah, down with those things. Like, those aren't any good. But there's another kingdom at play as well. It's my kingdom. It's the kingdom where I reign and I rule. And most of us, I think we assume something like this. My kingdom probably overlaps quite a bit with Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom that he's bringing. Like, he's bringing a good kingdom, and I'm like a pretty good person. And so, like, you know, let's just swipe right, you know? We're a good match here. But here's what Jesus' ministry in Luke points out. These kingdoms are, are way more in conflict than we think. So Jesus says, this kingdom that I'm bringing, it's actually not from this world. I think we think of God's kingdom and the Jubilee announcement as basically like a little bit better Vancouver, like a slightly better Vancouver. Like there's no waits at all the restaurants that you want to go to. And the Broadway Skytrain line is like finally done, you know? This is actually, this will be evidence that God truly exists. If there's ever a Broadway line all the way to UBC... That is a miracle, a miracle of epic proportions, and you can tell all your friends it's evidence that there is a God, okay? Or that, you know, Vancouver would be better if everyone agreed on my politics, or the encampments are finally gone and people are housed, or the people that you don't like all move to Abbotsford, or Chilliwack, or Mission. I don't know how far I have to go to not offend anybody here, but wherever you are, the next further east city, okay? They're not coming to your town. But I think that's what we think of when we think of, like, the kingdom of God. It's just, like, turning the dial up slightly on what we like, turning it down on what we don't. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He says, my kingdom is coming. It's coming from a different place. It's a kingdom of heaven, the Bible tries to say, coming to earth. That the God of the cosmos, the the cosmic king, the one who has existed before all time, is actually here himself. And he's trying to make a renewed group of people. And so it's a very different story The patterns of the world are turned upside down, which means good news, as Mitch talked about, this reversal. Good news for the poor, which means bad news for the rich. That slaves are freed, which means that the powerful have to be downsized. That debts are let go, which means it's bad news for those who have lent money to those in debt. And if that's all true, if that's the kind of kingdom that Jesus is bringing, then that's actually a huge challenge to the kingdoms of this world, where anywhere where we have set ourselves up as ultimate, as the center of the story, and where injustice and inequality and enslavement happen, all of those places will be under siege by Jesus' kingdom. And so his announcement of Jubilee isn't like this nice, cool thing that we can vote for. It actually becomes a battle cry and a summons to war. And it's a huge threat to each of our kingdoms as well. 
the skull-sized kingdoms that we construct, as the late author David Foster Wallace said. And you might say, no, 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 not me. Like, I, I like God. I like this jubilee dream. I'm down with loving God and loving neighbor. And I'm sure that you are, and I would put myself in that category too, but we have to look at the characters that we've seen so far in the Gospel of Luke. They're good people. We need to be challenged by them. They're good people. And they say, I want good news for the poor. I want freedom for the oppressed. I want sight for the blind. But then there's a limit to how far I'll go to actually make that happen. So yeah, Jesus, you you can ask for a bit of my time on Sunday. But don't ask me to take all my time. I'm not down. That's too far. Or I'll donate a little bit of the extra that I have. But don't ask me to sacrifice. Or I'll change a few of my habits. You know, I needed, a bunch of them needed to be changed anyways. But don't ask me to die. That's when Jesus' jubilee announcement becomes something different. It becomes a threat. A threat to our very lives. And we say to him, don't threaten me, Jesus. Do not threaten what I have going on. And what happens in our world when one kingdom threatens another kingdom, when powers collide, or when your life or your dreams are at risk. That's one word, violence. Sometimes it's physical violence that breaks out in our world. It's war, it's murders, or it's beatings, or lynchings. You can think of many examples of this. Or it can take other forms. Threats, anger, intimidation, vitriol, and social media comments. What happens historically in our world when someone emerges who advocates for the poor, for the oppressed, for the broken? Alternate kingdoms will rise up and try to shut that person down. From smear campaigns to threats, and if that doesn't work, physical violence and eventually murder. I was reminded of a historic example of it this week. Our staff team, we meet together on Tuesday mornings and we pray for this church, we pray for you. And we use a book called Common Prayer. And it has a couple different sections. So there's scripture, we pray the Lord's Prayer together, but it always begins with like this historic example of, of someone's life. And this is from Tuesday this week. Martin Luther King Jr. was a black American preacher who became a civil rights leader, teaching nonviolent resistance to evil and opposing racism and segregation. Working out of his home in the church, King organized a diverse coalition of people to combat the evils of racism, poverty, and militarism. In many ways, he was a flawed hero, but he was a committed man who died for his faith and for the freedom of his people. It was while he was advocating for sanitation workers, advocating for the poor, that he was killed in Memphis, Tennessee on this day, April 4th, in 1968. This has always been true. And this dynamic, that violence of threatened kingdoms and dreams, is in Luke one of the fundamental answers to the question of why did Jesus have to die? It had to happen, Jesus says, so that everything written about me in the law of Moses and prophets and psalms must be fulfilled. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, for many years, maybe probably up until this point in time, actually, I just thought this meant like direct prophecies that were made about Jesus. Like he had to come from the line of David. He needed to be a king. He needed to be born in Bethlehem. And that's all true. But what I think Jesus is saying here, in light of Jubilee, is something a bit broader. He's referencing just the whole story of the Bible and, in fact, the story of humanity, which is that we as human beings are creators. That's what we are. We are made to image God, so we create. And we create 
kingdoms in this world. And without God and under the sway of sin, the empires that we create always trend towards consolidating power, towards dehumanizing people, and destroying the good world that God has made. And in the story of the Bible, whenever God shows up, whenever he shows up, he always asks people to divest themselves from power. He says, let go. Let go of the power that you hold on to. Instead of dehumanizing people, value them. Give them dignity. And instead of destroying our world, I want you to steward it. And that's always going to result in violence in the, Bible, in the biblical story. It's always been true. Here's something from my, my reading just this morning as I was reading through one of the Psalms. Psalm 35. Listen to what it says. It's this exact dynamic. Malicious witnesses will come forward. They question me about things I do not know. They repay me evil for good, making me desolate. Yet when they, they were sick, I clothed myself in sackcloth and humbled myself with fasting, and my prayer was genuine. I went about in mourning as if for my friend or brother. I was bowed with grief, like one mourning for a mother. But when I stumbled, they gathered in glee. They gathered against me. Assailants I did not know tore at me and did not stop. With godless mockery, they gnashed their teeth at me. And this is what is being referenced, is this whole story. That the collision of powers, the collision of kingdoms always ends in violence. And Jesus knew that would be true from the very beginning. That's why throughout the Gospels he's saying, I I will have to die. That's all right, thanks Joel. I, I will have to die. This has been the dynamic that's always been true. And Luke has been telling us from the very beginning as well. If you remember the first uh, passage that we looked at, this jubilee announcement, Jesus, this is just a wild Sunday, isn't it? What's going on here? I don't know, maybe we should take a few minutes and just, just silently pray and meditate for recenter ourselves. Um, Luke has been telling us that this is the dynamic from the beginning, this dynamic of violence. When Jesus makes this jubilee announcement, what happens to him? He makes the jubilee announcement, everyone's excited, and Jesus says, oh, but this is the way it's coming. It's in a different way than you expect. And the people lose it. And they try to kill Jesus. They walk him to the edge of the cliff and it says that he slips away. But that's not what happens at the end of Jesus' life. Instead, he's betrayed by one of his closest friends. And he's sold, like many of the poor and enslaved have been throughout history. And he experiences massive injustice. In the Gospel of Luke, he's given the opportunity for justice four times. Each time, in front of a different person, he's denied. And he's whipped and he's beaten. He's shamed and he's alone. He's mocked and he's ridiculed and he's nailed to the cross. And he becomes the very people that he set out to save. He becomes someone who is weak, who's oppressed, who's lost. Someone who is poor and burdened. And everybody at the foot of the cross laughs at him. Say like, yeah, you came to announce this jubilee kingdom that you were going to free these people and look at you. What's going on? You're at the cross. You're at the mercy of the rest of the people. You can't even save yourself. Now, at this point, you might say, this is a pretty bad Easter Sunday sermon. Um, it's kind of a downer. You know, I put on my best dress. I dressed my kids up. We came to church. Um, it's bad news. And in many ways, it is. Um, and the Bible, I, it's, the Bible is just a very honest and, and realistic book about what it means to be human. And it talks about this massive paradox of what it means to be a person. On one hand, we're capable of more good than we can ever fathom. That we are people who are made in the image of God. We can actually reflect God in the world. 
as individuals and as a community. C.S. Lewis says that if you saw a person who was fully alive, who was fully living into this vision of what it means to be human, that we love God and we love neighbor, if you saw that kind of person, you would have to look away because they would be so bright and so brilliant and so beautiful. And this is what Jesus sees in each person he interacts with in the Gospel of Luke and every person here today and every person in our world. He says, the world might see you as ugly, as someone who is passed over, but I know that you can be unbelievably beautiful. Others may have like looked past you, have walked past you, have forgotten you, but when I look at you, I see unbelievable potential. This is the story of the disciples. None of these guys are first-round draft picks. That's why they're available when Jesus comes to the draft table, okay? None of the other rabbis, they're like, look, you're not even on my farm team, okay, buddy? And Jesus says, no, I see potential in you. You can actually carry my kingdom forward. And you may feel like an absolute nobody, and Jesus says, I look at you and I see somebody of immense value. You're so valuable, I would even give my life for, for you. But on the other hand, Luke's gospel and the Bible point out another reality about what it means to be human. That we are capable, individually and corporately, and unleashing an absolute avalanche of darkness into the world. Of pain, and of suffering, and of violence. When the things that we hold dear are threatened, and when our kingdoms are contradicted. And the Bible says this is the paradox of the story of what it means to be human. Of the human condition, this is the story of all of history, and the story of each one of us. That we are both long for peace, we love Jesus' jubilee dream, but at the same time, there's an unbelievable amount of violence at the core of who we are. That we are both purveyors of light and expanders of darkness in the world. That we're both oppressed and oppressor, victim and victimizer. That all of this is true. So, is there any good news for us in the death and resurrection of Jesus? If this is the predicament of what it means to be human, is there good news for us? I think it is. And I want to just look at two things. First, let's look at Jesus on the cross. Let's remember here that he's in the middle of facing the absolute worst of humanity. That the people that he has come to save, the people that he has called out, the people that he has given life to have now hooked him up on this cross. It's an innocent man facing the violent consequences of advocating for the poor. And the words that the eyewitnesses say were on his mouth at this cross are these. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. These are beautiful words. And our version that we read does a great job of translating what the original languages were saying. But because we're looking at Jubilee, I want to just take a look at two of the phrases here to see if they can bring some more depth to this for us. So remember Jesus' Jubilee announcement. He says this, I came to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and set free the oppressed. Well, I want us to notice two things about this. The first is the word release. The word release. In the original language, this, this word is aphison, aphison. You can bring that out later at your Easter parties. In my experience, it goes really well. People love it when you pull out dead languages um, at parties. Um, but this word can be translated, you know, like many words in different languages. It, it brings out kind of like a word cloud for us. It's not a one-to-one. And so it can mean to let go. It can mean to release. It can mean to pardon. It can mean to set free. It can mean to forgive. All of these words is a very important word for Luke all throughout the gospel. And he uses it twice in this Jubilee speech, actually. He says, Jesus has come to bring aphison to the captives and aphison for the oppressed. Freedom. To set free. 
to be released, to be forgiven. And the second phrase I want us to, to just zone in on for a minute is this word, recovery of sight for the blind. And if you've been following along in Luke's gospel, Jesus goes around and he heals physically many blind people. But there's also um, a more metaphorical idea of releasing people from the blind. And there's this beautiful poetic description in Luke 1 that talks about what this looks like. It says, Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. There's this beautiful vision of what God will do, that it'll be like a light going up, like the sun rising on people who are in darkness. Not only will they be able to see that they're in darkness, but it will guide them to walk, to learn how to be human once again. That's what this whole Jubilee story is about. And here's why this is important for us today. Because both of those ideas are present in Jesus' words from the cross. What he says is, Father, afficent them. Afficent them. Forgive them. Release them. Set them free. Give them the Jubilee opportunity. Don't hold this against them. And then he says, set them free because they can't see. That's the actual words there. They're blind. They can't see. They're in darkness to what they're constructing, to the kingdom that they're creating. And to me, this brings new depth to what Jesus is saying on the cross. Because all throughout his ministry, he has been bringing Aphison. He has been going around and releasing and freeing people and forgiving them. And he's also been offering light for people in the darkness to every single person that he meets. That's what he's doing. And because of his work and because of his words, he has become oppressed and he's hanging on the cross. And as he looks out over his oppressors, the people who have rejected his jubilee announcement, whose kingdoms and livelihoods were threatened and so they responded with violence, I expect him to do what I would do in that situation, which is defiantly just scream out curses to them. Or call for revenge. I would say, you know what? Your time is coming. My time is now. Just you wait. Your time will be soon. Or to cry out for justice and against the injustice that happens. But those are not the words that Jesus gives. Instead, he looks out over his oppressors to the people who have rejected his jubilee dream. And he says, you've hurt me. This is terrible and unbelievably dehumanizing to me. But I see you. I see who you are, and I see what you can be. You are not my enemy. You are my neighbor. And so I will not scream curses to you, but I will proclaim love and release and affison over you. And so he speaks these words of neighborly love, and then he calls out to the God that he loves, and he says, please release them. Release them from this story. Release them from what they've done. Because they're enslaved to what it means to be human, to live in this paradox that when their kingdom is threatened, what they do is they respond with violence. That there are people who have been invaded and are stuck underneath the power of the dark forces, who are alienated from themselves, from their neighbor, from this world, and from God. And so pardon them. Set them free. Let them go. Forgive them. Show them your merciful compassion by visiting them with your light so that they may see that they are chained in darkness. Be released and learn to walk in the way of peace. In other words, he pleads with God to the very people who have rejected his jubilee offering. He says, let them experience jubilee. Invite them back in. May they be forgiven in a new way. Have a new way to be human. 
And by pleading this with God and by pleading this over the people at the cross, by extension, he's pleading this with us. The cross is a disgusting reminder of the worst of humanity and the violence that spills out of us as people individually and also as communities. And we're invited at the cross and at Easter to see that that's part of who we are. That violence spills out of us. But it's also an offer. It's an offer not to see a God who is hanging there and yelling curses at us, which I think is what's on tumble dry for many of us from the ways that we understood what was going on, that we were taught about Jesus as kids. That's not what's happening here. That instead of of yelling curses at you, instead of being like an old grandpa who's just waiting to tell you what you've done wrong, Jesus is there offering forgiveness, offering blessing, offering invitation into his jubilee. It's also an offering for each of us who are blind to see the ways that we oppress, to see the way that our riches keep people poor and enslave them. It's an offer for us to be forgiven. And all of us who are under the power of the darkness of the world to see that the power has been broken over us and that we can be freed and come into the light. For all of us who have lost land, lost our home, and are now alienated and wandering about trying to find out who we are, it's an opportunity and offer from Jesus to come home to who you are and to where you were meant to be. And so Easter is a reminder to look at Jesus. Look at him. Don't look away. Don't let yourself be distracted with all the fun stuff that happens in Easter to look to the cross and to see him there offering half a sin, offering sight for the blind. But the good news continues because to everyone's great surprise, Jesus doesn't stay dead. And I have the great privilege of announcing with the original witnesses, these women who Mitch talked about at the tomb, and with the angels and with the gospel writers and with the billions of other saints throughout history and the many other churches in our city that gather today, that he is not dead but he is alive. He is risen. Which means that there is great hope for each one of us. When Jesus died, it seemed like this great jubilee announcement that we've been talking about would die with him. That all would be lost. That the things that Jesus stood for would never come to pass, like justice and peace and freedom. That's been the story uh, throughout history, is these great leaders arise to proclaim this, and then they die, and their movements end. This is what his original followers thought. They just go back to work. They're like, well, that was a fun thing we did in college, you know. We'll tell our kids about it, but now it's back to real life. But if Jesus is alive, then the possibilities are endless, and the story can absolutely change. That death and disease and sickness, although part of our world, do not have the last say over my life, over your life, and over the lives of those that we love. That God has shown himself stronger than the dark powers of our world. But today, as we look at the Jubilee theme, it's a reminder that there's hope for me and for you. That there's a new path forward for us as human beings. That we can find pardon and freedom and a phasis and to be set free from the ways that we have dehumanized other people. But that there's also a new spirit at work within us that we can receive grace and forgiveness and actually learn by this new spirit to extend that grace and forgiveness to other people who are still dwelling in darkness. So there's hope for you and me. There's hope for us as a people that this light that rose in Jesus is actually available to us today. It says in Romans that the power that raised, the spirit of power that raised Jesus from the dead is actually can be at work within his people, is available to us today. 
that even from this small little group of people, this small little church in East Van with the worst name in history, that even from us, God's power and his light can shine into the world if we just choose to partner with him to receive his jubilee invitation to learn to love God and love neighbor. And that there's hope for the poor and the oppressed. And I just want to dwell on this for one second. You know, there's so many people in our community that labor, that your life is spent laboring for these people that Jesus came for. The poor, the oppressed, the physically broken. I think of our ministry partners, specifically those who work with Inner Hope, a ministry that's for youth and families. I think of our healthcare workers and our adoptive and foster parents, teachers. The list could just go on and on and on. And I know for many of you from talking with you that it can feel like you're just carrying a candle into a snowstorm every day. That you meet one person who's broken and you help them and it just seems to spin out into ten more. You hear ten more stories of brokenness and it just feel like this oppressive darkness over you. And the good news in the resurrected Jesus is that if Christ has risen, there can be justice. There can be freedom, there can be release, there can be jubilee. And as Paul says, when he picks up on this theme, then your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. That loving God and loving neighbors with with eyes open and with huge hearts can actually build God's kingdom here and now. Brick by brick, moment by moment, a kingdom that will last forever. And there is hope, lastly, for our world. That rather than continuing to rinse and repeat cycles of violence, and kingdoms of brokenness. That if Christ is risen, then there's hope that the new kingdom that he is bringing has taken root, even here and now. And that we can come under the love and the care of a new kind of king who will lead us into a new kind of kingdom where we become new human beings, where we learn to love God and love neighbor. This is what's on offer at Easter. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, I pick up uh, on the words, well, we thank you so much for Easter. I pick up on the words of the Apostle Paul where he's talking about this resurrection hope and he says, thanks be to God. So we come as your people to thank you for what you've done. May you bring it uh, into new depths for us today. Thank you for the victory available through the Lord Jesus Christ, the hope that we have. May we truly live into it and become people who, as Paul says, are steadfast immovable, and always excelling in the Lord's work. And may you remind us today that whatever you call us to put our hands to, the neighbors that we have, the places that we labor, the places that we go, the people that we see, that every time that we just defiantly choose to live in your jubilee dream, to believe that that's possible, every time we choose to love God and love neighbor and partner with you, that our labor is not in vain. So we pray for that hope today for us. In the name of Christ, amen.